the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. It isn't often you hear about a lawyer who prays his way out of business and clients, but my next guest often has done just that while practicing family law in the South Bay. Seven years ago, we began to transition from standing before the bench to behind the pulpit. Joining me now is the senior pastor of the Home Church of Campbell. With us today is pastor and, shall we say, counselor, Hector Moreno. And Pastor Moreno, welcome. Good to have you with us. Good to see you again. Well, thanks for having me. This is great. I look forward to our conversation. This is an amazing transition for you in that you were always involved in real frontline ministry in your role first as a prosecutor in the South Bay and later on, of course, in a successful family practice that continues to this day, working with people that are dealing with a variety of life challenges. Sometimes they've made wrong decisions that have gotten them into trouble, perhaps issues related to relationships that have caused turmoil within a marriage and ultimately in a family, and those unique opportunities to be able to speak to not just what's going on for these individuals legally, but most importantly, the struggles that they are facing spiritually. In a sense, this kind of grassroots ministry has been part of your DNA for many, many years. Absolutely. I I, um, came to Christ when I was 21 at uh, Santa Clara University, and my intent was to follow my dad's footsteps and be an attorney. But when I came to Christ, I said, hey, I want to be a pastor now. This is what I want to do. And so I was talking to my pastor at the time, Mike Kiley, who was the founding pastor of the home church um, back in, you know, the uh, early uh, 80s. And, um, you know, we just prayed together. And he said, you know, I, I think maybe the Lord's not calling you to be a pastor right now. He made that he may have that for you in the future. So with that, I went on to law school and uh, continued uh, my pursuit of a legal career. And uh, but all the while we were uh, my wife and I just were members of the home church and uh, raised our children there, became an elder at the church. And we have five kids and we raised them at the church. And it just became our family. So we were ministering. I was a lay minister for all those years while I was working full time as a deputy DA for about 10 years and then went into private practice. So, yeah, it's ministry happening ever since, uh, but only in the context, you know, outside of church in the context of the courtroom or or outside the courtroom, but in, in the legal And oftentimes in places where people are at their most desperate and they really need answers and solutions. And while certainly our legal system can provide many, uh, it might be able to address disputes regarding division of property with the dissolution of a marriage or who's going to get custody of the kids, who gets custody of the dog, you know, things of that sort. But it's incapable of speaking to the heart issues. And that's what has so much impressed me about your approach to not only law, but ministry all these years. When you and I first met many years ago, in addition to your private practice, you guys were holding clinics at the church and inviting folks once a month to come down that were struggling with a variety of legal issues and providing pro bono advice and insight, which is rare from any attorney these days, but I think particularly important because you've always kept the focus on being able to be ready to minister to people's needs and in particular to zero in on the heart needs, which as we know from a biblical perspective, that's where a lot of our problems tend to start. Absolutely. It's, you know, once we uh, once we become followers of Jesus, I mean, we're his followers and his disciples in whatever context we're in. And and um, just remember, as a as a prosecutor, uh, prosecuting, you know, child sexual abuse cases and child uh, abuse cases and having to put on young children as witnesses, just going to the Lord and just praying for this young victim who has to go into court and testify and being able to take some time and pray over them and um, encourage them, invite the Holy Spirit uh, into that situation, 
and just really saw how the Lord moved to bring peace in a situation that there was no peace. Um, and uh, just continued throughout my career to, to see uh, these circumstances as circumstances, these life circumstances that people were in as the best opportunity, really, um, to introduce them to Christ if they don't know Christ or to just to remind them of his presence and to to invite him. And just saw over the years, the Lord do tremendous things in the lives of people. And many came to faith as a result. And um, so it's just been a blessing. And it's just really been, I've been always working with the children at the church. I started out as a, as a Sunday school teacher uh, before I was married and then continued, uh, continued in the children's ministry and became pastor Hector, but pastor Hector as a children's minister, essentially a lay minister, but was still practicing law full time and um, was an elder in the church. But the, you know, the shepherding um, happened in, in every context. Um, and so the, uh, you know, we just had many opportunities with people's suffering um, through, like you said, a divorce, suffering with being victims of domestic violence or child abuse or whatever it is, and to be able to to help them um, find Christ in the midst of that. So, I mentioned in my opening remarks about your transition that began seven years ago, kind of moving from that full-time role before the bench to now behind the pulpit. And and it sounds like for you, as you describe, Pastor Moreno, your history of, of ministry, not only with families in the legal setting, in the courtroom, but certainly at church, that this was not necessarily a, a, a go-to transition, but rather perhaps more accurately put a flow-to transition, meaning God was always kind of leading you and pushing you in that pastoral counseling sort of setting that would seem to me then that this transition to taking the reins of home church, becoming senior pastor seven years ago, almost sounds like a natural progression. Now, some might say attorney, pastor, I don't see the correlation, although in both cases, you're often dealing with people that are incapable of keeping the law and helping to guide them as to how to get on the right pathway. So in many respects, I certainly see the connection. But tell us how that flow to becoming senior pastor came about. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things is that uh, um, the lawyer seems to be the, you know, modern day version of the tax collector. And, you know, uh, Matthew was uh, called to follow Jesus as a tax collector and and uh, Peter and others didn't see how that would happen. Um, and at, frankly, you know, early on in my career, I was wondering how can I serve the Lord um, in the context of the legal profession? And, um, but uh, felt that, uh, initially that I would do that as a as a lay leader in the church, involved with the children's ministry, helping on a Sunday morning. We had five kids, so we kind of had to uh, get, you know, pay our dues for our children who were in the ministry, and then ended up um, being on the board of the of the church and developing close friendships with the pastors, um, especially our senior pastor, Mike Kiley. Uh, so just over the years being involved with the church, it became family. That was our family. And um, uh, as Pastor Mike uh, came to retire, um, that there was a transition and we were looking for someone to take his place. And there were some things that happened between the time that he retired and, and me coming on. But, but ultimately, um, the elders asked me if I would be willing to step in on an interim basis until we found somebody else. And so um, I don't know if we're still looking, but uh, that's what happened. I said, yes, I'll step in. I still have my practice and I don't know how that's going to work, but um, I feel like right now God's calling me. So I'll say yes. And, um, and I'm still there. So um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Seven years later, that's a long interim period. Of course, I'm dealing with the same thing here. I'm going on 36 years doing this program. I was asked to fill in for two weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I know how that is. It's something I'm struck by. You spoke of, particularly as, as you were raising your own five children, uh, all of whom I understand are into their legal careers or heading toward kind of a basketball team worth, worth of attorneys as it is. But right. you, you spoke of the church and that blending of those relationships really is sort of an extended family. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that as to how vital that is in the life 
of the average believer, and, and particularly in the broader context. And I've always noted that home church began as, literally as a home church when uh, Mike and Tricia were gathering for just a small, humble Bible study in their home, and it kind of grew from that. And while they eventually moved into a renovated shopping center and, and built a quote-unquote official sanctuary, that sense of it still being home, that smaller rich relationship where you don't go and hide, but rather there's that iron sharpening iron sort of spiritual growth taking place. How critically is that, do you think, to to not only the success of any church, but more importantly, to the spiritual growth of individual believers? It is absolutely essential. And the church, just so others know, I mean, my background, I grew up as a Catholic, but wasn't really involved in the church except on Sunday morning. And that's how I saw church. You just go to church on Sunday and that was it. When when I became a Christian, a follower of Christ, um, and, and we joined, at that time it was a Calvary Chapel and then it became the home church. But when we joined that church, it's the only church as a believer that my wife and I have ever known. And this has truly been our family. It's been our family that has walked with us when we were first married and then when we began having children. And it was... Um, a mutual love relationship where we loved one another and helped each other. And um, so it was, it's just been a natural progression that this is family as just like a biological family um, in some ways, even more uh, connected to one another. And um, so when we, when, when COVID hit and we were forced for a few weeks to just close our doors, it was really unsustainable. It was like this, how, how can we be apart from those people that we love and love us? We need to be together. So we ended up having services out in the parking lot and having just outdoor services because we needed to be together. And then, um, you know, so it's just been a tremendous, I, I can't even say tremendous. It's been absolutely essential to our spiritual growth, our spiritual health, and um, to be together and connected um, with other other members of the church, family members, really is what we call them. So you refer to the impact of COVID, and and certainly uh, home church is not unique in that churches all across the country had to deal with sudden uh, mandates handed down by authorities saying that's it, uh, you got to close the doors. We're trying to figure this thing out. A lot of churches were able to pivot to technology, live streaming, things of that sort, which in the short term and as kind of a band-aid approach to continuing to meet spiritual needs on a weekly basis, I guess under the circumstances worked. But it's never any substitute. And and maybe one of the things that we need to be mindful in a day and an age when we are surrounded by all kinds of technology, up to and including the technology we're using at this very moment, radio, live streaming, podcasting, as a way of disseminating the message and getting out beyond the four walls of the church, those can all be very useful tools. They can be very valid tools for the dissemination of the gospel. But do you think they can never be a substitute for that in-person ministry? And I, and I ask that question because at the core, when we talk about kind of what it really is the, the center heartbeat of Christianity, certainly forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to the Father is at the core message of the gospel, and Christ paying the penalty for each and every one of us, all towards, though, the goal of God-desiring relationship with his creation. It's not just that he wants to forgive us and he wants to graft us into the family, but he also wants to walk in fellowship with us. And so then that notion of the importance of relationship on the the vertical plane between mankind and God, particularly important, but we can't leave out also that importance of along the horizontal plane as we exhort one another, encourage one another, correct one another, and be there for one another through the good times and the bad and the trials of life. And I think sometimes if you isolate yourself and think, well, I can I can sit and watch Pastor Sunday morning. I don't have to get dressed and shaved at 8 o'clock on a Sunday, and we can still enjoy the service and the worship. It's the same. But is it really? No, it's not. It's like, you know, basically saying, uh, well, I'm a baseball player. I just don't have a team. I mean, it's like, well, then you're not a baseball player. I mean, you may play baseball, but the, the it's a team sport. And that's exactly what the church is. It's we're called to love one another as Christ has loved us. We're called 
to be in relationship with each other. And it's through that relationship with one another, that intimate relationship where we are helping and serving and caring for one another, that that Christ is made known to the world. And without it, we are not the church as he intended it to be. And so I would say, I understand that there are those that feel like they can't leave their home for whatever reason. And in the rare case where somebody absolutely cannot leave, um, then, you know, we do the best we can. But but for the most part, I would say 99.9% of the cases that it is absolutely not a substitute. It is not church. We have to be together. We have to worship together. We're two or more gathered in Christ's name. There he is in the midst of them. I mean, our philosophy at church is Sunday morning is an experience that you cannot experience by yourself. Absolutely not. You have to be present. And when we're all present together, worshiping the God of this universe by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is tremendous connection that happens between us individually with the Lord, but together with each other and ministry that happens that cannot happen any other way. And I feel sorry for those who are still at home when they're online, they're watching what's happening in the service, but they're not participating. They're not, they're not connecting. And, um, and so many of them have said, well, we just got to go. We see what's happening in the church, you know, on the screen and we've got to be there next Sunday because we're just not connecting. So, and to expand upon your, your baseball analogy, anybody can buy a pair of tickets and go see the Giants play. You'll be at the game, but you can't argue that you're in the game. You're not in the game. Being in the game is on the field. Being in the game is being fully participatory. And you don't see any references in Scripture, at least not my version of the Bible, that talks about coming to watch the show. It does talk about the individual parts of the body and that we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves and the importance of that iron sharpening iron kind of experience that doesn't happen when you spectate. It only happens when you participate. Absolutely. Pastor Mike and Tricia, when they founded the church, I mean, Pastor always told us that he had this vision of the church. The reason why he liked the name Home Church was because he had a picture of a young boy that was uh, kind of out uh, on, on, a, on a winter morning or winter evening where there's snow on the ground walking in the woods and there's his house and the young boy walks up to the house and he's looking in through the window and there's tremendous warmth and light and coming from within the house. And the young boy looks into the window and sees everybody connecting and laughing and having a great time. And he can watch from the outside but it's not nearly the same and that this young boy was then ultimately invited into the be part of the family and enjoy uh, what was happening within the home and that's kind of the vision he had for home church and so the emblem for the church initially was that it was a picture of a house with light streaming from the window that's exactly what it is and that's what we try to be is just to have be family, be intimate with one another, and everyone is welcome. Hey, Pastor, for folks that have been eavesdropping on our conversation today, and they've been struck by your heart, your description of the life and ministry of the home church, and that that true sense of family, give us a bit of a snapshot, if you would. Somebody approached you in town and said, gee, I don't know anything about home church. Tell me all about it. Well, we're a church uh, in the city of Campbell, and a few years back, our church was voted by um, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Business Association of Campbell, Downtown Business Association, as the business of the year. And when we got that award uh, in front of a, a large crowd at a, at a special dinner, they said it's rare that we would actually qualify a church as a business, but we wanted to make sure that the home church was recognized for all that the church has done in our community. And one of the things that we have been known for is that we, it was our pastor's vision from the beginning, that we wouldn't just be unto ourselves, but that we would be, if we're going to be in this community, we're going to love the community well, we're going to serve the community, and they're going to know us, and we're going to know them. And so for the last 40 years, we've been actively involved in every aspect of Campbell and helping um, wherever we can. And as a result, the city has recognized us, and we continue to do that. We continue to be a part, a thriving part of the city of Campbell. So we call ourselves the home church because we believe that um, 
in that the church is a family and that home is where the family is. Uh, we're inviting everyone to be part of our family. So right now, um, the church has been transitioning for a while, and we feel like we're an old church that has, uh, is starting over. It's basically a new church that has been around for a long time. And um, we, we see the Lord really moving by bringing in younger families, really feeling connected to our Gen Zs, and really committed to reaching them. And so what, what one of the things that the Lord has done, and I think he convicted us of, is that there was a time when, even though we are a, a charismatic church, there was a time when our Sunday mornings were not so Holy Spirit-led and centered. I mean, we I believe it's always Holy Spirit led when we preach and we worship, but but now we're at we're at a place where the Holy Spirit is is more welcome than He's ever been, and it's uh, we're asking the Spirit to lead our Sunday mornings and and to actually uh, speak on a Sunday morning and to minister to people. And so we have given uh, as much as we possibly can. Uh, we're trying to give complete control of our services to the Spirit, and we see a lot of ministry happening on a Sunday morning. And people are, are being prayed for and people are being healed and people uh, healed physically, but also uh, emotionally, uh, spiritually. So right now we're like a new church um, and we're children's ministry is growing. We have we're connected with uh, American Heritage Girls and Trail Life, and that's really growing. And we have Pioneer Family Academy, which is a, a two day a week school uh, for homeschoolers that we do. And so there's over hundreds or so students that that come every week to that school. We're a church that is committed to Jesus and committed to the word, committed to allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and empower us, committed to one another and committed to our community. The home church, they meet in Campbell at 1711 Winchester Boulevard. And you can get details on the web at thehomechurch.org. That's thehomechurch.org. Dot O-R-G. You can also call the church for details and directions at area code 408-370-1500, 408-370-1500. What time is service on Sunday, Pastor? It's at 9.30 in the morning. Christmas Eve will be at uh, 9.30 and at 4 p.m. Christmas services will be Christmas Eve Sunday, and that'll be at 9.30 a.m. as well as 4.30 p.m. So you've got the option whether you open up gifts in the morning or the afternoon, whatever your family tradition is, there will be a service available to you again Sunday, Christmas Eve, the 24th, 9.30 a.m. or 4 p.m. at the Home Church in Campbell. Our thanks to Senior Pastor Hector Moreno for being with us. Pastor Counselor, great delight to get caught up with you again. Thanks so much for your time. Absolutely, Craig. Thanks for having me. We're going to go into a series for this month on spiritual warfare. And um, and this is really continuing continuing the In Christ series that we did uh, through the summer months, where we looked at the book of Ephesians. So that is where this comes from, Ephesians chapter 6. We got to the end of October, and we weren't able to finish that. So we uh, ended up taking uh, our, uh, the end of August. Uh, we weren't able to finish that. And so we ended up, uh, and then we had that special series in September where our younger ones among us actually preached. And then in October, we did our, our uh, missions month. And so now we're back in November, and we're kind of going back and finishing what we didn't have a chance to finish, and that's Ephesians 6, which is really all about spiritual warfare. So as we get into this, this is going to be a, a few-week series. And so what I'm asking us to do right now, and I kind of uh, dressed in my work vest today because I wanted us to realize that really what we're going to be doing today is a little hard work, that we're going to be engaged in some hard work. And that's the hard work of, of actually seeing ourselves at war. And seeing ourselves that, that we live in the midst of war and that it is not ease and peace all the time, but there's a warfare that we're engaged in. And so just that I'm asking each one of us as we sit here right now to try to put aside distractions because we have an adversary who will come and try to keep you from hearing and listening what the word, uh, what God has to say to you today. So many of us have prayed for you. And we've prayed for each other, and we've prayed for ourselves, and we ask the Lord to please open up our eyes and our ears 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is no condemnation. This is, we are here in the spirit of compassion and love. And it's in the spirit of compassion and love that we say, pay attention, you have an adversary who's out to destroy you and murder you and kill you. He's a murderer from the beginning. And so we're here to encourage you out of love for you and for each other to be with one another and to say, let's pay attention to what's happening, to the warfare that's around us, and and ask the Lord Jesus, what's my role in the midst of this warfare? What have you called me to do? So can you just join me right now as we come together in prayer? We're going to pray and we're going to go right to the throne of grace. And we're going to ask the Lord to teach us this morning. It's not the wisdom of man, but the power of God that we seek. Amen? And so we believe that He, he, he distributes that. He distributes His wisdom and His power to us when we seek it in humility and with humility. So each of us seeks to be transformed, not just informed. So come, to, let's just go before the Lord. And I'd like each of you just to pray out loud as you feel led. Right now, asking the Lord to do something in your heart and in your life. What would He want to do in you today? So Lord Jesus, we just join our prayers with one another. And we come to your throne of grace. We thank you that you are our Lord. You are our King. You are King. You are the Commander-in-Chief. You are the one to whom we have surrendered all. And we thank you that you have extended to us grace and mercy and everlasting love and compassion. And that, Lord, you call us, you call us as our Commander-in-Chief to war and to battle. I pray that you'd help us today to hear your words, not mine, but yours. And help us, Lord, to learn from your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to, as I said, continue in the In Christ series through the book of Ephesians, looking at Ephesians, really chapter 6. And we're talking about spiritual warfare. How many of you know that the spiritual world is a reality? That it is a reality, okay? We know that. It is real. We may not see it, but it is real. The spiritual world created the natural world, and the natural world is influenced heavily by it today and has always been uh, from the beginning, even from the garden uh, time till today. The spiritual world is in conflict, and the natural and the spiritual world's engagement with the natural world creates a natural conflict. When you have the spiritual against the natural, and that's what's happening. And so, um, and we have if we look at the Word of God, we can see how that was uh, revealed to us, really, when we look at the Israelites. The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves, and they were set free from being slaves, but they were then in the wilderness. And during that wilderness time, God was building their character so they could possess the promises He had for them in the promised land. But when they entered the promised land, When they entered the promised land, probably expecting ease and comfort, they had to fight to possess what they had been promised. There was a fight that was required to possess what they had been promised, even though this was a promise of the Lord for them. And when they entered the promised land, they fought. They engaged in both a physical and a spiritual battle. They did not just fight physical nations. They also fought against spiritual forces. Remember, Goliath cursed David with his gods. I curse you with my gods, he said. The king of Moab hired Balaam to curse Israel. They were well aware of the spiritual power that they had. It was a spiritual battle that they recognized, even though it was taking place in the physical realm there as the Israelites had to fight the nations who were actually slaves and servants of the God of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil. And and the Israelites were called to fight, fight, as God equipped them to fight in order to acquire the promises that were already made. As we look at Ephesians 6.10, Paul starts the spiritual warfare, the armor of God section. He starts it by saying, finally, after chapters 5, 1 through 5, and all that good stuff about who we are and the promises and all the things 
all the truth about the reality of our identity in Christ, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. And as we go through this series, I want us to remember that word, withness. Withness. And that is that we are, that we are always with Jesus if we are followers of His. We are always with Him and He is always with us. Always. There's always and there's that story. I, I love this story because it just so reveals you know, my human weakness and maybe yours too. But it's a, from Mark chapter 4 where, where Jesus is preached all day by the sea. And then he tells the disciples, we're going to get in the boat. And we're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. And it says there were other boats around. And they all gathered in the, in the boat and they started to go off into the sea. But Jesus was so tired. Mark tells us that he grabbed a pillow and he laid down right in the boat and went to sleep. But all of a sudden, a storm came, a major storm. This is, if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, it's just a wind tunnel. And so they're used to these winds. But this, these were expert fishermen who were in the boat with Jesus at Jesus' command. And all of a sudden, this storm came up that was the worst that they had ever experienced. They were now saying that they were going to perish. They really believed. You can imagine, get the picture, the wind blowing, the waves crashing against the boat, them being just drenched with water and thinking, we're just going to die. And all the while, you can see them glancing over at Jesus. Is he going to do something? Is he going to wake up? We're, we're, our lives are at risk. Our lives are at stake. He doesn't care about us. I mean, that's exactly what it seemed like because they woke him up and they said specifically, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care? How many of us have done that when we're in the midst of spiritual warfare, when we're in the midst of circumstances that we just say, this is too much for me. I can't handle this. Where are you, God? Don't you care? And what did Jesus do? How did he respond? I know how I'd respond if somebody woke me up from a good sleep. Why did you wake me up? Jesus right away woke up, and what did he do? It says that he, he awoke and rebuked the wind. He rebuked the very unseen cause of the waves. He knew what the source of the waves breaking against the boat were. It wasn't the waves. It wasn't the circumstances. It was the wind that could not be seen. And Jesus, that word rebuke, it's like rebuking the devil. He rebuked the wind that was seeking to create their death and destruction. He rebuked that. And then it says, to the sea he said, peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. So he attacked the source, which was the wind, the unseen world. He attacked that, rebuked that. And then he calmed the circumstances, and the waves. And there he was with them, took care of that situation with them all the time. And he, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And as we consider this spiritual warfare, let's never forget the fact that we are not unlike the disciples who walked with him. That we too can forget that Jesus is with us. That Jesus is the answer to every issue. And that our job is to go to Him first. And not accuse Him of not caring. But to recognize that He cares so much, He died for you and me. If He would not hesitate to give His life, how much more will He be with you in the circumstances that you, that you have? And be with you, and He's with us. He's in us. And then, but to, to also recognize that that we can't, even though we, rec- we understand that sometimes our faith is lacking, that Jesus doesn't condemn us. He just asked a question. And he still, even though they were in their desperation, lacking faith, did he come through? Yes. He wants us in our desperation, whatever it is, even when it's sometimes it's without faith. We're just crying out. He still responds. That's the nature of Jesus. That's the nature of the one who call- who's our commander-in-chief, who sends us every day into battle. And it's a battle against not flesh and blood, as Paul tells us. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, things that we can see and feel, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They're spiritual forces of evil, and they are our enemies, our adversaries, not flesh and blood, not one another. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But so why, in spiritual warfare, why? There is spiritual warfare, but why do we fight? We fight in order to possess the promises of God. Soldiering, a soldier is our identity. That is who we are. When we follow Jesus, say yes, we become immediately soldiers in the army of God. It's our identity, and fighting is our destiny. A soldier, you and I are soldiers. You look at yourself and you say, I'm not a soldier. I don't look like one. I don't feel like one. I'm old. <laughs> I can't fight anymore. I'm too young or whatever. But that's, you are. That is your identity by spiritual nature, who you are. And fighting as a soldier is your identity, and it will be your identity and your destiny. Fighting is your destiny until Jesus returns. With God as our Father, And supernatural power and victory is in our DNA. As a child of the living God, with the Spirit of Jesus within us, that supernatural power and victory is in our DNA. That is our identity. So as we go through, and we may not finish today, but these are the six points that I'm asking us to consider as we look at this. And we really take a look at, and I'm asking us, especially those of us who've been in the church a long time, We talk about spiritual warfare, we talk about the armor of God, and we just kind of glaze over. And we say, yeah, I've heard this message before. Yeah, I've heard this before. I know all this. You know what? I'm telling you, and I'm I'm being honest with you, this message rocked me. And I'm I'm telling you, I've got, and I'm going to quote from him a little bit later, but this is a message that I heard from Pastor Vlad Savachuk, or Savchuk. But, um, but he, he, he's just a wonderful pastor, and he had this message on spiritual warfare. I really encourage you to just check him out. But this rocked me because I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, I just had this attitude um, about my life and, and believing that I'm really after the good life, and I'm trying to make my life a time of ease, really. I mean, that's the American dream, isn't it? That we seek a spouse and a house and a career, and, and we seek the, the good life, the life of ease here in America. That's what we're after. And so what we end up doing is we fight against these circumstances because they, seem to, they tend to interrupt and, and, and make us our lives a little uncomfortable. And we, 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 we see the church more as a cruise ship than a warship. That we're just kind of on a cruise. That we're just, we're out, we, hey, you know, we're just having fun together. And why is somebody bothering me? Why, why is this person over here need me? Because, people, when we came to Christ, we were put onto a battleship. And that is what we are on. And so we get used to the fact that on a daily basis, we will be engaged in battle. That is normalcy. That is what we should expect every day, that we are in a battle against an adversary who Jesus said was a murderer from the beginning, who seeks nothing but your destruction and mine and the destruction of all mankind. It's the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of God. And there's a battle that is going on, and we as soldiers within the kingdom of God will be fighting this battle, not just for ourselves, but for others, but also for ourselves because we too can become victims of the devil's schemes. So, We're going to look at these six things and and try to understand them. We went from a slave to a soldier when we came to Christ. That soldiers fight in order to get promises. That one of the advantages that the enemy has against us as soldiers is our weakness, our weariness, our wilderness times. That warfare is actually designed by God to wake up his soldiers. He could just as easily remove us from the battle. Instead, he says, no, you're going to fight the battle. That's what I have made you for. So we will learn that 
Warfare wakes us up as soldiers that we fight from a place of victory we've already won. The war has already been won. And we know that. But just like in World War II after D-Day, and the war had actually been won, there were battles that had to continue, right? They still had to fight and take ground. But guess what? Now they knew they had a different mentality. We won this war. And now I can go with greater courage and expectation and just really joy because I know I'm fighting from a position of victory and power. And so they, we fight from victory, not for victory. And we avoid wrong battles that distract us from the actual battle and warfare that Christ has called us as soldiers to engage in. So, slave to soldiers. As one, as we look at ourselves as those engaged in spiritual warfare, and we will be, until we see Jesus face to face. We have to understand that the moment we went from the moment of conversion, when we came to Christ, when we were filled with the Spirit, when our eyes were open, we went from being a slave, a follower of the devil, and enslaved to the kingdom of darkness, to we were assigned as soldiers in the armies of God immediately. Immediately, when... Think of a baby who is newborn, for those of us who've had them. I mean, you're in the hospital, and right away the baby comes out, they grab a a blanket and wrap the baby in this blanket. Right away, wrap the baby in the blanket, right? Well, just think of your new birth. When you were born again, each one of us immediately were fit with the armor of God. Immediately. Because it's like being born on a battlefield, where missiles are flying all around us. And before... Before we came to Christ, our eyes were closed. We didn't see, we didn't realize that that there was a war and a battle going on. We just thought everything's cool because this life, I just have to fight for this and that. But, But when we come to Christ, it's like we wake up on a battlefield. Can I just share something with you? The other day, Christy and I were praying. And we were just praying together and, and we had a lot of things going on. And we were both kind of talking about how we need to get out and really prepare for other people coming over. I forget what we were doing, but there was, a lot of things we had to do. And so we were considering really just kind of giving up our time with the Lord and just going right to work. But we said, no, let's, let's just spend time with the Lord. Let's just say, okay, it doesn't matter if we don't get all these other things done. We're going to have our time together. We're going to have our time with the Lord. And each of us were in silence, sitting next to each other. And I would sit there with my journal. I'm sitting there in silence with the Lord. And I'm just sitting there meditating on the Lord and His goodness. I'm telling you what he showed me. I wrote it in my journal that I sense lost. I can't find it. Yeah, so, but, but I, I, I just, it was like I immediately woke up. And my eyes are open. I'm not asleep or anything. I'm just sitting there in silence. And I see Jesus. And Jesus has this, has this military helmet on. He's got this, you know, the, the soldier's war helmet on. And and, and as I see him, he's just smiling. But he's look, he looks like he's a general ready for war. And he's like smiling. He says, hey, wait, welcome. And I, I felt like he, he started to show me around. And I was in this war room. And there was just this, this preparations that were going on for a major battle. And, and everybody in that room was smiling, even though they were preparing for war. And they could tell that this was going on. And it was like, you have a role to play. Come on over here. And, was, and I, I was like writing this down. Because it was like I just got a picture into the spirit realm, into exactly what is happening above me, and I can't see it. And so when we, at the moment that each of us came to Christ, we entered the battle. We were enlisted, and we were born on the battlefield. So right away, as a good father would do, he protects us, he equips us with the armor of God that we, when we look at the armor of God, we'll realize that it's more than just something that, that we put on when we need it. It's actually like that robe of righteousness that is put on us when we come to faith. It's the same thing. The armor of God has to be put on and taken up at the same time. And we have to recognize we have it on. It's our identity. But we also have to take it up when we need it. So each of us, as we came to Christ, recognized, we need to recognize that we 
went from slave to soldier. And this is what Paul says, and we saw that when we looked at Ephesians 2. He says, and you, he's talking to the believers, but he says, before you were a believer, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he's telling us there that you were slaves. You were following the devil. But when you came to Christ, things changed. And he goes on to tell, he goes on to say that. He says, um, he goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God saw Israel, even though they were his children, he described them as an army. As we look at ourselves, we are either a slave or a soldier. We're either in bondage or we're in the battle. Are you afraid of the battle? Just be honest. Sometimes you think about it. Am I afraid to engage in this battle? Am I afraid to confront the spiritual forces of wickedness and evil that are attacking those that I love? Am I worried that maybe I won't have what it takes to stand in the gap in the midst of this battle, we're either in bondage or we're in battle. We are being called by the Spirit to wake up. To stop acting like victims. To stop acting like we're still in bondage. Like we're still in the kingdom of darkness. Like we have no authority. Like we have to beg Jesus like they did. Please wake up. Help us. When Jesus dwells within each of us, and our identity is that of a soldier given a nuclear weapon that the adversary, when he sees, runs from. And yet we do not see ourselves that way. We see ourselves as victims. We see ourselves as as those who have to hide or flee or pray for protection. When it's the adversary, the devil, and the spiritual forces of evil that are scared to death of you and me. So we're called to wake up. God has empowered us to break free and fight back. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If you were a follower of Jesus, you were enlisted. He went and he called you. He said, I want you. I want you. And you said yes. You may not have known everything to which you were saying yes, but you knew that you could trust him and you love him. And you knew that he had battled for you and delivered you. And so you said, I want whatever you have. I want you. Because you are everything. And you said yes to that. But what Jesus knew that you may not have known is that you were being enlisted. And you were being enlisted as a soldier in his army. He's the commander-in-chief. And he is calling us to war as soldiers. So from the moment that we came to Christ, we went from slaves to soldiers. Soldiers fight to get the promises. The full soldiers have to fight to get them. And they know it. They know the reason why they're fighting. As Christ soldiers, we don't get what is promised. We get what we fight for. And we look at in Joshua. Remember, Joshua was, uh, was there helping Moses and was uh, there. Moses died. Joshua comes and takes his, his place as, as leading the Israelites. And in Joshua 1, Joshua is told by the Lord, he says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread, so he's talking about where he will go, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. And this was before they entered the promised land. So he's telling Joshua, you are going to go into the promised land. Every place where your foot goes, I have given to you. 
But then Joshua, as, he, as he's with the Israelites, he goes, you know, he's thinking, well, wait a minute, there are other people <laughs> in those places that are not going to easily give up their land. And so God is telling them in advance, you're going to have to fight for this. But I want you to understand that this is a promise. This is the promised land. But you have to fight for it. I'm not going to make it easy for you. How many parents do we understand that, right? For our kids when we talk to them. I, I could do your homework. I could do all this stuff. But I'm not going to make it easy for you. I want you to learn. I want you to build spiritual muscles. I want you to understand that you can do this with my help. And so that's what Joshua had to understand. The fact that the Lord gave the land to the Israelites did not negate their responsibility to step out in faith and take it. God told Joshua he gets everything his feet touched, but he'll have to fight for it. What does that mean for us? It means that we don't fear battles that God has anointed and appointed us for. And that means when we're in circumstances that were beyond our ability and we're to, to address, and we're saying, I can't believe this. This is, shouldn't be happening to me. Or, or why is this happening? Or, or how come they're speaking so badly of me? Or, or why you know, are these things going on? That we recognize, well, hey, maybe this is a battle that Jesus has anointed and appointed me for. To fight back. To recognize that my adversary is not my spouse who is saying things to me. My adversary is not my kids or my friends or others who are talking badly. My adversary is not flesh and blood. And so now, Lord, I get it. I get it. I am in the midst of a battle. And you want me to fight through this. You want me to call on your name. You want me to go forth and battle and see how I can be victorious in the midst of these circumstances with you at my side. Yes, Lord, I get it. And I'm going to get on my knees and I am going to fight for victory. You heard, I told you I had a back problem that was serious and it was just bothering me and I got healed. It was a miraculous healing because the saints of God prayed for me. And I couldn't even move, and all of a sudden they prayed, and I was like, I can't believe it. I can't find pain if I look for it. I was looking for it. A few days later, the pain came back. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know I was healed. And I just went down early in the morning and got on my knees, and I just said, Lord God, you gave me this healing. I know it. And I know it. I've got to fight through this. I'm going to battle for this. And I am going to claim this victory and this healing. And he's not bringing it back. And I don't care what it takes. And I was on my knees, pounding the ground, just saying, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. This was a healing that God gave me. And I know he gave it to me. You're not going to take it from me. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. And just fought and wrestled and battled with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Battled with Jesus at my side. But battled the adversary with Jesus at my side. And the pain went away. It was gone again. And I haven't had it since. I'm telling you, soldiers have to fight to get promises that God has for us. We shouldn't fear the battles that God has called us to fight. If you run from Goliath, Goliath is going to keep chasing you. Right? The war will not go away. Goliath will not disappear. If we do not walk forward into battle, the enemy will drive us back into our bondage. If we do not fight against the devil and the, the land that he tries to take from us, he's going to continue to push us back into bondage. Are we going to fight and remain free, or are we going to be pushed back into bondage that God never intended for us as people? David was anointed to fight. David was a warrior, but there was a time when he was too tired to go to war, and he stayed back. Second Samuel 11, we all know the story. In the, it says, and in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And what happened when he remained at Jerusalem? He saw Bathsheba. David, and he sinned, David could kill Goliath because he was anointed and appointed for that battle, but he could not control his eyes. 
which ultimately resulted in a destruction of somebody else's life. David murdered somebody as a result of that sin. We are appointed to fight these battles. And if we don't fight them, they're not going to go away. They are not going to go away because we are children of the living God. And he's saying, no, until you pass this test, until you've actually seen my deliverance, you're going to keep continue to face it. So you're going to walk around. You're going to try to get away. You're going to keep avoiding him. And he says, when will you just believe me? And take up the weapons of the warfare that I've given you and fight. And once you fight, you're going to rejoice in the fact that I've delivered you and that I'm with you. And you can fight and you can succeed. Soldiers fight to get promises. We're to run forward. Run forward in the battle because we know we've won. And we're excited about winning. Everyone is assigned to a battle to fight. Hell is breaking loose right now. The devil knows that his time is short. And it's time for us to go and to take the land. It's time for us to go and to take the spoils that have been given to the church and the kingdom. But we have to, we have to engage in the fight. We should get fired up about this fight. There is no breakthrough. There is no breakthrough without a battle. There is no victory or promised land without a battle. And the victory, remember, victory presumes an enemy. It presumes a fight. We have to see the world in our lives is that, that we are at war. There's a time for war and a time for peace. We are at a time still at this age, in this age that we're in. This is a time of war. And the fact that we were enlisted into his army just means that we're enlisted to fight in this battle, in this war, at this time, and that we have victory guaranteed. I'm going to ask the prayer team, or the worship team to come. I'm not going to be able to finish all of the points today. But I just want us to think about this for a while. Let's meditate on these that each of us is a soldier. And each of us has been given a promise. Each of us has a promise that Jesus has given to us. That when we came to Him, we were equipped for this warfare. And so what we need to do is be with Jesus. Be with Him and recognize He's with us. One of the battles that we face is the battle of going to Jesus in prayer. Of spending time with Him. On a daily basis. It's a battle we face all the time. The enemy's going to speak to us all the time. You don't have time. This year you have other things to be doing. There's more things important. You need to work. I'm telling you, fight that battle. Resist the devil. Resist that. Go to your knees. Be with the Lord. And wrestle with Him. Speak Scripture. Read Scripture. Pray Scripture. And let the Spirit speak to you. And right away, where you thought Jesus was asleep in the midst of your battle, you're going to realize he's wide awake. And he's right there with you. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, guess what? I've got some things to tell you. And I'm so grateful that you're here. So let's fight that battle, the battle of sleepiness. We want to stay in our beds. We don't want to get up. Those blankets are too nice, right? We don't want to get out of bed. Well, that's a battle we face every day, right? We get up and we go before the Lord. Pastor Hector Moreno, Senior Pastor of the Home Church of Campbell. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.